the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I hope you're going into a great weekend and getting ready for it. Lots happening. Uh, It will be a good one. I'm actually going to go look at some colleges with my daughter. Um, So we'll be off together for Saturday and Sunday, uh, and that'll be fun. I haven't done that. We we don't do that many trips with our kids alone, just the mom or dad and one child. So that'll be fun. Uh, We'll report back on Monday. So um, we've got a couple of really interesting interviews. Larry Willard is a new friend of mine, a guy I've met through some different circles. He's got a publishing company, publishes good books, I'd say, uh, lots of Christian books, but just good books, values books, and good books, um, high quality. So we'll talk about it. his book. His company is called Castle uh, Key Books. Castle Key Books, and that key is spelled Q-U-A-Y. I don't know. He's British. I think he's Canadian originally, maybe the United Kingdom, and uh, but he's now here in America, too. So uh, we'll talk with him. And also, uh, Noah Says. We'll finish the week with a segment of Noah Says. Everything from Disney to COVID to Albert Pujols and everything in between. We'll talk with Noah Dingley, our great producer, and catch up with him. All right, but first, don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email that goes out every Monday through Friday, uh, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time, in your inbox, an email that gives you a few key thoughts, a few key links, and what you need to know. The wink, what you need to know, W-Y-N-K. And that's how we start the program today. And we start the program with what you need to know. Let me explain something to you that you may not understand. And this is why I, I think I, I, I love doing this show. I love talking to folks is knowing these things and seeing them far away. Did you see the news that Hillary Clinton and her campaign were filed fined $8,000, $8,000. Now, I believe Hillary Clinton's official 2016 campaign, I'm not looking at the numbers, but I think that they raised and spent at least $64 gazillion. Well, I'm kidding, but I mean, they, they, they raised and spent, I don't know, $150 million, probably with all the super PACs, but we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. They were fined $8,000. The Democrat National Committee, the DNC, was fined $105,000. And uh, the DNC raised a couple hundred million dollars in that time period, too. So we're talking about a real slap on the hand. And what for? What for? Well, they're being fined because they did not file the appropriate disclosures about the totally fraudulent Steele dossier. So two details about this. If you look at CNN and MSNBC, they'll report this as saying Hillary and the DNC forgot to disclose uh, this spending uh, for that, that steel dossier, controversial dossier about Trump and Russia. No, it's a lie and it's discredited completely, discredited by the Mueller investigation, discredited by the public. And yet they still continue to try and to and succeed in large part to get the media, to get the public to believe there was something there when there wasn't. But here's what you need to know. And what you don't know and what I'm going to tell you, the the fining authority for this is the Federal Election Commission. In other, you, you, Federal Election, FEC, the Federal Election Commission, yeah, FEC. 
And the FEC is not in the Department of Justice. It's a creation of Congress. It has appointees that run it. But it has been generally over the last 25 years. It was created to be bureaucrats judging elections. And it has become bureaucrats doing nothing. Nothing serious that threatens anyone. And so, I mean, they will nickel and dime people. They'll go after Dinesh D'Souza for making a contribution 25 years ago in the wrong way. And he got in trouble for it. Big trouble. But when it comes to lies and campaigns and and uh, and not disclosing thing, it happens all the time. And what the candidates and the campaigns and the media knows is there's no teeth in the FEC's enforcement. There's no real teeth. It's not a criminal violation. It's at it's a fine. And you know what? The Hillary Clinton campaign has lots of money still. And so does Hillary money. DNC, same thing to pay a fine. And this is this is the part you really need to know. It's all by design because the people who benefit from the current system are the incumbents. The people who benefit from the system of gathering and, and, and sheltering and moving money around are the incumbents, the powerful class. The people that know to set up a, a Clinton foundation, raise hundreds of millions of dollars in that to give themselves a cushion and a platform, they know that the people giving $100 million or $10 million to the Clinton Foundation expect when the person goes to run for office, there's going to be some move over there where you give money to a PAC or a super PAC or whatever. It's all the swamp, and it's all by design. And both parties don't want, for different reasons and some reasons, some, some similar reasons and, and some different reasons, they don't want an FEC that does anything. Now, good constitutionalists like me say, be careful when you create a bureaucracy that will be run by bureaucrats, see Lois Lerner in the IRS, and you know, you'll target people. That's what I worry about. And I think that purists will say free speech and all that stuff. I'm for more transparency. Show what you're spending on any campaign. Show who's spending on it in any campaign. Not showing it is the problem, right? Not knowing what's going on. If it had been known that Hillary paid for that dossier that was the center of things, it might have changed the dynamics. Certainly would have changed some of the dynamics of the coverage, maybe. The second reason people object to it in power is they don't want to be hassled, Democrats and Republicans. And when they do get hassled and make a mistake, they just want to pay a fine. And then I want to say, I paid a fine to settle that because it was an oversight. Hillary Clinton campaign says, oh, it was an oversight. We meant to do it and somebody missed it. Give me a break. It's just not true. They know that the cost of not complying with the very sometimes burdensome and counterintuitive FEC regulations, they know that that is the burden is higher, the cost is higher in PR and time than any fine they get. That's the reality. You just see it. $8,000. The Hillary Clinton lie about the dossier, the Steele dossier, and the DNC's role, they paid $113,000 in fines together. And it turned America upside down. It, it, it might have, I mean, it could be the combination of that. It, it, it sort of was just a, it was a soft coup. It damaged the nation. And that's what Hillary pays. And you wonder why around the country people look up and say, none of those people that do wrong things get held accountable. And I'll go back to it from yesterday. The guy who does the right thing gives a Hunter Biden laptop to the FBI. He gets punished by the press, by the culture, by the people. Uh, do the right thing, but hurt the wrong people, bad. Do the wrong thing, but be the right people, a little fine. That's what you need to know. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Oh, 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 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our next guest is a new friend of mine. Uh, the last couple of maybe month or so, uh, Larry Willard has come into my life uh, professionally. He's um, he actually, he's, he's probably going to admit this. He's married to someone smarter, more talented than he is, like most of us, uh, which is his wife, Marina Hoffman Willard. And she's been on the program. She was giving great updates on what was happening in Canada. Her own family, her father is a pastor as well as a trucker. So we're getting updates from her. But Larry's become a friend, too, and been with us at our Phyllis Schlafly. Eagles uh, prayer call each week, and I've been very intrigued and pleased to talk to him about his work. He is the founder and publisher of Castle Quay Books, a, a book a book publishing imprint um, that's dedicated in large part, not not exclusively, I guess, totally, but uh, to the focus on, on interests of the Christian community. And he's published a number of books and uh, been involved in lots of different ways and is himself uh, trained as a pastor, I believe. Yeah, pastor. Um, and so welcome, uh, Larry. How are you? Very good, Ed. It's really good to be with you. And uh, of course, uh, I will always admit that my wife, Marina, <laughs> is a lot, a lot more attractive uh, and a carry than I am. But she's, <laughs> um, she's, uh, she's not here today, but she sends her regards to you and uh, all your listeners because well, they've been very kind to her. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We've had a great visit with her. And of course, her, her, um, her, um, as a teacher, she's a professor as well as an author. Um, she's she's great. So, all right. First of all, Larry, um, business of publishing is tough. Uh, you hear a lot of people that are that want to either want to write a book or want to get a book published or whatever. But then publishing books, it's hard margins. It's uh, hard to do. So tell me about how you started Castle Quay. What it means, how it's working. I know it's been around for twenty one years. It's not a not something that just came around last week. So talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing and why it's uh, important. I sure will. Um, well, I, uh, by the way, it's pronounced key, castle key. Oh, it's an is old it? Okay. English word. Oh, yeah, it's geez. an old English word. It means See a little that? bay where you would kind of pull your boat in and unload your cargo. Yeah. But um, we started Castle Key. I was actually the general manager for uh, a group of companies, publishers here from the U.S. in Canada. And I think some people may have heard of Augsburg uh, Books or Fortress Press, Concordia mm-hmm. Press. Yeah, And I was their general manager in Canada, and we had a lot of Canadian authors coming in and asking if they could get their book published. And it was just difficult, difficult in the U.S. because they're not that well known in the U.S., but they were very, very well known in Canada. So I just asked for permission if I could start this imprint. That's how we started. I said I would stick with what I would call traditional Christian values, uh, views, and so on. And uh, we had some top authors suddenly decide to come to the company. Uh, it became quite popular. And then finally, uh, Augsburg asked if I would just take over the company in Canada. They would do the distribution. Mm. And I would just kind of handle all the, um, all the publishing. And you are sure right, um, Ed. Let me tell you that people uh, probably have no idea how many steps there are involved to get a book, first of all, properly edited, proofread, uh, designed, uh, you know, set, and then distributed, and then properly priced. And then we go into 17 countries. But I wanted to give... Uh, authors a chance to speak to a reader just the very same as all of your great uh, publishers here in the U.S. By the way, I'm now both in Canada and the U.S., in fact, more in the U.S., where our company has taken off here in the U.S. So uh, we wanted to be able to share the testimony of top authors 
with individuals. It'd be really nice to take an author and just have them meet one-on-one with people. You know how uh, everyone wishes that. It's just not possible. But we just said we have some fabulous stories and they're they're testimonies that would uh, probably impact the the faith life of the hearers. So I just really wanted to get these stories out and let people hear about how God is working. And of course, he is working in amazing ways, uh, even with people who are unknown. And uh, so we we started off with a lot of biographies and we started off with a bit of theology and a lot of popular books. We've greatly expanded since then, but um, it's a tough business. And if you make a mistake, uh, especially since uh, some of the big giants entered the industry, and as I always say, reduced the margins considerably, so made it a really difficult uh, uh, um, uh, a difficult job to get the books everywhere we want in the best possible condition and so on. But it's, a, it's exciting to hear people whose lives are changed, and right. um, I have endless stories about that. Kind yeah, of yeah. So, so, um, so I guess one of the things to say to people I, I think is important is um, that you, you, one, you just said at the beginning, it takes more than you realize to do a book because you, you can write a book and you could find a way to publish it online and you could put it up and you might even sell a few copies. That's that's not really what um, happens uh, with, a, with a book that's properly done. In other words, you, you, you need the partnerships to kind of shape it and to figure it out and all. However, there's a catch-22 in the world right now because you mentioned distribution. If you're a really good writer and have a good idea, in say Christian leadership, one of the categories of uh, Castle Key Books, and it's by the way, it's CastleKeyBooks.com, and that's Castle and then Q W Q U A Y CastleKeyBooks.com. I'll put it up on social media. But if you have a good idea, Christian leadership, let's say, and you say you work with you and you put it together, one of the key interesting things about this moment is you can sort of be your you you can be your own advocate for distribution, which I think publishers will listen to. So if you're a pastor of a big parish or a big church, and you say, look, I've got a community that's built like this. I think this book would sell. Somebody, uh, uh, help me under, help me uh, flesh this out. People say, oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's, um, that's going to help you. It's not going to be everything. Don't, uh, don't do it yourself. But I, I, that, that part of publishing has changed dramatically in the last five or ten years, right? It really has. And one other thing I think that's very uh, important to understand, Ed, is that the cost of publishing a book now is just going through the roof because of all of the increase in, in costs uh, that are uh, inherent in printing and distribution and so on. But if you have someone who can help you to underwrite those costs, for instance, uh, we have something that occurs uh, in um, uh, in our entire distribution system with bookstores. Right. Somebody's trying to get you, Larry. Go ahead, kids. I know, I know how it goes. Don't worry. Um, as long as it's Sorry, not... Ed, uh, someone forgot to phone off, shut off the phone, and uh, <laughs> I had to go do it. That's Happens. all right. That's uh, all right. So in that, it's very easy to think that uh, books sell themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't. Right. No book sells itself. But if you have a, a, you know, we used to call it a platform, a soapbox, whatever you right. want to call it. Right. And very often it's because you have a ministry who wants to hear what the pastor has to say about this subject. Right. What we do is we make it possible for them, first of all, to have a book that's very um very well produced, right. professionally produced, the best editors, the best everything. And then what we do is we say, well, the good news is we're going to end up with a lot of this. Um, we're going to end up with a, uh, a lot of the costs underwritten. Right. 
And uh, so what we do is we say, listen, Pastor, if you uh, can give me an idea of how many of these books we can direct toward your particular audience, I will produce it the way you want it, uh, the timing you want it, and so on. So I I know that that sounds crazy uh, because it sounds like self-publishing. It isn't in the sense that when we make that book so that it's marketable to the general market throughout the world. Right. And the reason why we do that is because we want to make sure that not only if you have something to say and a couple of hundred of your parishioners want to hear what you have to say, my guess is a lot of other people do as well. Yeah, yeah. So we help you produce that. How does how does Larry, we're talking with Larry Willard, and he's the founder and the publisher uh, of uh, Castle Key Books. And uh, you go to the website, you'll see lots of books on Christian leadership, uh, fiction books, and uh, all kinds of books. It's a really uh, impressive number. And, and you've been around for a couple of decades with just his imprint and doing other things. Um, you may have heard his wife on the program. She's the author of uh, Women... Women in the Bible, small group Bible study book. Dr. Marina Hoffman's been on with us. Um, how does ebooks fit into the plan? Because I would have said even till maybe a year ago that I did not read ebooks very often. And I w- must say, in the last year, I have read ebooks and I have bought ebooks. Um, now, I actually tell you the truth, to be honest, Larry, I can't lie to you, even on the radio, even as a, a media guy, that, uh, that, uh, <laughs> how refreshing. Uh, I actually use the local library will let me take out ebooks and then return them obviously so i read yes. more that way on there how do ebooks fit into publishing how does it help does it hurt is it easy hard what's your sense well it's a kind of a mixed blessing uh first of all we have to retypeset most of our books that are typeset for what we would call print uh copies and we have to retypeset them um and it's a very particular format for ebooks but we do that mostly for every book. I, there are very few exceptions that we don't do that. It's a little bit of, you know, what I would call a, a kind of a pain because you have to go back through and see whether the flow of the book works in ebook the same way as it works in a hard copy. But uh, then you can put it out so much easier. And people, uh, I never used to like ebooks. By now, I'm being honest, Ed. Right. Uh, I used to say, look, I like to, ha- I want to underline things. I want to print in the margins. I want to put it on my shelf. If someone comes to visit me and says, well, this is all interesting. You've read this or that. I don't want to open up my uh, my phone, my iPad, or my right, PC, right, right. or or whatever the reader, and say, "Well, here's my uh, you know, here's my great array of uh, of books that I've read over the years. What do you think of them?" They don't like to do that. So I am kind of a mixed guy. If I really like a book, I very often will buy it in ebook. But if it's a res- if it's basically a resource which I'm going to refer to all the time when I'm doing, you know, as you mentioned, I do a lot of teaching and I do a lot of writing and so on. So if it's going to be something like that, I very often don't buy the hard copy anymore. I just buy the ebook version and I refer to it because it's a lot easier to use. And of do you, course, do you, it doesn't do weigh 50 pounds. Do you, have, do you find that though, in terms of the business model, in terms of success, um, I think people sometimes think, oh, I'll do an ebook. Everyone will buy it. It's only $3.99. I, I don't know. I just yeah. don't know how the model works. Is it, is it, is it, is it, is it, um, is it helping to spread books or is it lowering? You know, part of me thinks that if you're Rush Limbaugh on the right or Ann Coulter on the right, you can sell a million copies. But every or Bill O'Reilly, I'd love to see a study of Bill O'Reilly selling books while he was at the Fox News Channel. And then yes, Bill sir. O'Reilly selling books when he's doing a, a, a daily a podcast, which he does. And no, very less less people here. Right. I mean, it's yes. the platform from which you can talk about it. Uh, but e- e- e-books helping that hurting that? 
that? Is it making it easier to have an impulse buy? I won't buy a book, a hardback book for $17 too quickly on Amazon if I if I happen to go there, right? I won't do it. I'll think, huh, but I might do it on an ebook for $4.99. I don't know. I'm just wondering what the impact yeah. has been on business. Well, it is, as you uh, are saying right now, the, um, the good news is that people who don't, first of all, they don't have space for a library uh, and they don't, every time they move, they don't want to cart around 40 cases of books. And I think one year I carted around a hundred cases and they don't want to do that. So they just basically find uh, the eBooks a lot more convenient and obviously lighter. Uh, and, and you nowadays um, can do a lot of things with eBooks that you couldn't do when they first came out. So you can underline, highlight, write things, you know, and so on. It's still not quite the same. I, I like to have a hard a copy in my hands, but so many more people are now uh, totally buying ebooks and not buying the hard copy books. So it really has expanded the market. And if I look at the total book sales, if you add hard books, hard copy books, and if you add ebooks together, there's no question that we have expanded the horizons and we are re- reaching a lot of people who we couldn't reach before. Uh, so we and we come up with a, a lot of ways for a person to. Uh, basically buy a hard copy. And if they want, we make the ebook available for a, a mm-hmm. highly discounted price so that they can mm-hmm. have it in both. And, you know, don't have to carry a 20 pound book along the, w- with them and they call on a flight somewhere. So right. we're doing a lot of that combo stuff, but I think, I think it's really expanded the market. Although I have to tell you that the, um, in the beginning, it looked to me like ebooks were just going to chase hard copy books right out of the market. And so the uh, total sales of ebooks started to approach the same numbers as uh, hard copy, but that has really stopped. And I found people are, a lot of people are going back to hard mm. copy books. But they both sell quite a bit. Yeah. They really make it possible. Interesting, yeah. interesting. All right, last question. Sure. Uh, what book on your uh, – uh, we're talking w- with Larry Willard. He's the founder of Castle Key Books, castlekeybooks.com. Give me one book other than your wife's, which I see there, that you that you published that really is a special book for you. I know that's hard to do. It's like asking which of your kids you, fit, you, you like the most, but give me one. Yes. You know, I'm going to give you an old one. I know this sounds terrible because we do so many good current books, but there's a book called A Father to the Fatherless, and it's the story of Charles Molly, who opened an orphanage in uh, Kenya, uh, probably 30 some years ago. And uh, he basically picked up stray kids in Kenya who, during the AIDS crisis, were abandoned by parents who just died. And the kids were sitting in ditches. And he was a in Daniel uh, Moy's uh, cabinet. And he was going visiting some of the people that, uh, you know, in, in some of the rural areas. And he saw kids sitting on the side of his road and he asked people where they, what they were doing there and they said these children have been abandoned they have nowhere to go so mm. the story is amazing he now has put through ten thousand orphans orphans through his business we've sold you know 50 to seventy thousand copies of the book it's not wow. that it's a large seller but a lot of people have actually started supporting that ministry because of the story in the book so mm. we mm. we feel sometimes that we've made a, a kind of an impact on all of those orphans who are now professionals and uh, but there's some great yeah. stories we have new books coming out on so well yes. and let me say that book a father to the father Father to the fatherless, 
Charles Mully story. Yeah. Paul Boge, is that how you pronounce it? He's Paul, the author. Yeah, Paul Boge. Yeah. Uh, Boge. I Paul want to give him credit. Uh, B-O-G-E, who's the author. Yes, I love to right. give authors credit. So, uh, well, listen, Larry, thank you for uh, the time and thank you for what you're doing. I think it's fascinating and important. And I encourage people to visit castlekeybooks.com and uh, find out more there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Ed. It's been great to be with you. Thanks All right. so much. Yep, All you're welcome. Best. We'll, take a, we'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, my old friend, the great producer of this program, has his own programming on The Answer San Diego and also helps Andrea Kay with her show. Helps it when I say that he produces that show too. Noah Dingley joins us for another segment of Ask Noah or Noah Says. I was playing around with this with my kids. Ask Noah, my son thought sounded cool. I said it sounded like a biblical. Ask Noah. Maybe you could do a biblical show. Ask Noah. But Noah Says is the segment we've done, and uh, we check in with Noah Dingley and find out what the pulse of real America is, because he's real America. Now, first of all, we got to cover this, Noah. We just did a little bit off the air, but it does have to worry you about the Disney deal, right? I mean, I know you're a big fan of Disney. Your, your childhood is wrapped up in Disneyness, and I think I do too. My kids, I love it, but they are—they're—they're they're getting a little bit wacky, huh? Well, first off, I feel like because of the pressure your son is given, I have to chime into the microphone like this from above. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, it's very <laughs> worrisome, Ed. I mean, I have been, you and I were talking off the air, a huge Disney fan supporter over the years. Their films, their movies, their theme parks, their TV shows. I mean, it's really been about bringing the family together. There's even some current projects that they have coming out I'm excited about. They've crossed a line, and I think with a lot of families, that they feel like it is their job to indoctrinate kids against a way that the mainstream American family would raise their kids and that's their responsibility to do so. And I'm not jiving with what they're saying. You know, I, one of the problems is, and I, I do blame this sort of, I've been trying to come up with the phraseology. We're talking with Noah Dingley, our great producer. Um, the cancel culture, it's not just the canceling they do. It's kind of like the pressure culture, you know, and they pressure uh, individuals yeah. and entities into acting in ways they just don't need to. Like, I don't I don't know if you needed to. Nobody's thanking them for it. You know, nobody's coming along and saying, ah, Disney's going to stop using the boys and girls and that makes us feel good. They, they didn't need that. Nobody was mad at it. I don't think it was like picketing against them. And, and they do this and then a whole bunch of people look up and they're like, ah, oh, man, I don't know. Uh, and so it's this sort of intimidation culture that is on the edges. And, you know, again, um, I, I don't know where it ends and I wonder how often these corporations especially think they're doing something that will help them and it ends up at least being confusing, if not unhelpful. Uh, both, uh, definitely, Ed. And I just got this email earlier this morning. I need to dive into it. And besides Disney halting the use of girls and boys, they're also pondering. I mean, think about this from your childhood and the stories we grew up with. They want to kill the terms prince and princess. I mean, seriously, what are, that's what are they using place? Not OK. Yeah, no, uh, I knew they got rid of Uncle Remus. Right. What was the ride that there was a ride there that was uh, that was really I remember it as a kid. The one in, and and, the, and it was um, it was in Flash L.A. Mountain, you know, the ride it, they, it was based off of the Song of the South. And right. There you go. They apparently I don't know the last time I was there, the change 
uh, had not been made yet, but maybe it's already been made. I'm not sure. Right. So that was one. And I, and I, and again, I don't I don't agree with that. But I guess I understand it. And actually, you could have done that one by just saying we're updating rides. You know, oh, like exactly. periodically update rides. Right? You know, the Song of the South was so popular years ago. But but that's uh, different than 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 ending up in this position. All right, let's uh, switch over now. I, I I have relied upon you because of your. Uh, experience as a father, your two sons, as well as a, uh, now a fiance, your fiance has some younger children. Um, and again, you're an observer of, uh, of people. Uh, the COVID pandemic. Well, we're out of it, right? We're out of it. Um, it feels like, right? People stopped talking about it. Right. Um, there was the Academy Awards the other night that were not about masks and not about, uh, vaccine cards, but about, uh, people slapping people on stage. So I guess that's progress. Um, but what's the, what's happening at the school level? What are you hearing? At the school level, people are ready to get back to business 100%. It's pretty much unanimous across the board. Parents feel like their kids need to be unhindered and be able to go back to school in person, no restrictions, and learn. That's what they're there to do. They also know most parents, and again, this isn't across the board, but that they, for the most part, aren't going to give it or give it. Kids are, you know, they have such a high, high, high uh chance of not even contracting the virus. And if they do, they're not going to, you know, it might be like the sniffles. They're not concerned about it. And so I think as parents, we need to continue to push towards these schools and just say, hey, you know what? Take are, are the, the schools, are many, school, are, 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 are many schools school still restricted? be able to learn and not focused on all the nonsense. And I think when you bring the, the kids to the forefront, Ed, I think you're going to have a lot more across the board agreement that a lot of these restrictions need to go away and they need to stop. Are many of the ki- schools still masking and still having requirements? No, you know, uh, can you tell? actually, I my fiance's school here locally in San Diego, they pulled them away for students and they pulled them away for staff as well. Okay, so I think it's just sort of breaking through finally and uh, seems to be... Well, and, right, let's, and um, to get past the schools, there was an assembly bill brought forth in California here, I believe it was several weeks ago. And basically what they wanted, Ed, is they wanted no matter the size of the company or independent contractor status, if you wanted to work in California, you needed to be vaccinated. A lot of people were worried. And there was so much pushback on that, they've paused and removed the bill. Really? And that was, that was that's huge a, news. Yeah, kind of went under the radar. And a lot of the mainstream not reporting it. But they have, at least for the moment, they have paused and removed the bill and realized that I think they're biting off more than they can chew. Hmm. That is... Um that's very interesting. That, that's, that, that is interesting and that's to California. see now. And, uh, so that's yeah, that's sign. kind of what I was going to say, right. That's a good sign. It's a, I, what, I, what I don't quite know and, and understand yet is whether we as a nation move so quickly on to the next thing, right? Ukraine and Russia, um, you know, well, inflation. Well, I still believe Ukraine's a distraction in some aspects. Yeah. Well, and so do we move on? Because when we vote in the fall, um, are people remembering what happened for two and a half years in, in terms of our uh, the COVID and, the, and the, what I think was a massive failures? Uh, no, you're right. And, and that's right. where as conservatives, if we truly want to hold the uh, Democrats accountable and the people that stole our freedoms and our liberties, we need to remind people now and not right before Election Day. Hey, remember all those freedoms you were complaining about that you lost? Uh, well, let me remind you who took them away from you and who didn't want to give them back. And we need to be hammering on that each and every day. 
Yeah, that's um, that's 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 exactly. It's um, again, I know that's true, and you'll hear it. But uh, people vote, and 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 especially politicians follow. They you know, and, and one of the things I think is if the if the candidates talked about what we went through and said, this is why I'm going to go different. I think that would be, it would actually influence what people are feeling and believing. If the candidates move on and say, ah, inflation, we got to do this, this, and this. A lot of, it's sort of like follow the leader. I hate to say that. Oh, I, I, I agree. Think that's one of the it, it, what things. the Republicans need to do is what you and I are talking about right now. They need to remind people about what we've been through over the last two years, what was taken away from us, what we are trying to get back, and not get the low-hanging fruit that the Republicans are, I mean, they crush it, but, but, it's, but it's that low-hanging fruit that's not going to make a difference. Hey, we're going to lower taxes. Hey, we're going to combat inflation. Yes, we know that. That's not what's going to win them right. the election, though. Right. Exactly. That's my that's and I think they don't realize that. I think they I think they're looking at polling and when they win, they'll say, look, we did that because we talked about inflation. All right. All this is a warm up. We're talking with Noah Dingley, the great uh, producer of the program. Uh, Noah says Noah says what about Albert Pujols? Uh, You had to bring it up. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, In my heart, I'll tell you, especially with you and I agree on the DH rule being a bad thing for the National League. I thought it should have been the other way around. Uh, just eliminating it from baseball, but it's here, right? At least for the immediate future. And I thought, hey, we have the DH in the National League, Dodger no-brainer. Let's sign Albert back up and make sure that he's there each and every day. But the Cardinals, the Cardinals signed him, and you guys are looking good. Well, I don't know about that. I think there's, uh, there's, uh, you know, I, here's there's my problem. To be said about Albert, yeah. though, I mean, he's great in the locker room. No, no, yeah. Well, he is great in the locker room, and Yachty and Albert and Adam Wainwright, three amigos from back in the day, it will be glorious. But here's the thing. Um, Albert, I think he probably still gets 15 to 20 homers, and he does fine. I agree. Um, pretty good. Decent DH. Not a great DH, but decent DH, all told. Um, Wainwright will be solid, but he could be, he, you know, he, he may won't be. I don't think he'll be quite as good. Yachty came to camp late, and I, I hate to say it, he came to camp, looks to me like a little out of shape. And that, that you, you don't get that back in this short shortened season so my concern is we have a farewell tour with you know everybody giving them rocking chairs and they actually sort of are rocking you know and and fading a bit because and then we're doing what happens to the cardinals every year which is slightly above average pitching missing one arm and slightly above average hitting missing one big bat and then we maybe we squeak into the into the playoffs and last a series right last a game uh, so i don't know we'll see but i got to tell you i know and i i know you will uh, and our listeners if you have a chance to go see the cardinals when they're either in san diego or up in la uh, anaheim whatever it, it is a good year i mean albert is one of the great iconic figures yadi one of the greatest catchers uh, in the last 30 years for sure and wainwright's class act it'll be worth catching i mean we're going to catch games in St. Louis this summer, my family and I, also in uh, Philly and Washington, all trying to chasing the Cardinals around for this last uh, tour. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go if I get the chance for the reason you just brought up. I would love to be able to see that dynasty. And, you know, it's, just a, it's another caliber of player from years past, and I would love to see them do well. Heck, if the Dodgers aren't yeah. going to be taking it, I'll say it right here on the air. I'll root for the Cardinals, man, because I want to see them just get one last hurrah. And back to the Dodgers really quickly, you know, it's the same thing I've noticed with them that you've noticed about the Cardinals, and they've always fallen a little short. And I say every year, you guys need to focus on your relief pitching. Get better relief pitching. And what do they do? They kill my man, Kenley Jensen. Don't re-sign him. And now he's with the Atlanta Braves. And I keep hearing other people say, yeah, we got more in the bullpen. Yeah, but we've lost a great asset, I believe, 
to the club, and that's not going to work well for him come, uh, you know, midsummer. Well, I mean, uh, uh, with the Dodgers, I hate to say it too glibly, but they have so much money, they'll solve a lot of their problems and be in the hunt, no, as that's you say. True. But, uh, but, 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 uh, he, he was a great player. Uh, uh, Kenley, is it Kenley Jansen? Is that it? Or Jansen? Kenley Jansen. He, he's been my his, favorite yeah. Dodger pitcher for quite some time. Yeah. He really, he, I mean, it, good or bad, he's brought a lot to the club. Valuable asset. And he's, at least from my perspective, he's going to be missed. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of valuable assets, the great Noah Dingley. Noah says, thank you, Noah, for everything you do. You get a thank you on most of the programs, but we certainly appreciate it. And we'll look forward to talking again soon. It's been far too long. Uh, let's make it a more regular we'll t- thing. Keep the thousands <laughs> of emails, fans pouring in and go Cardinals, go Dodgers. There you go. All right. There you go. We'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. Everybody loves cookies, and clearly the Girl Scouts of America know how to pick a good fundraising tool. Most likely, you've talked to an enterprising young scout selling her wares within the past few months. However, as cookie season comes to a close, I'd like to share a few facts about Girl Scouts USA that you're probably not aware of. The National Girl Scouts USA organization has done a good job of disguising their link to radical abortion and feminist groups, but the truth is undeniable. Girl Scouts USA partners with groups like the Clinton Foundation and the National Organization for Women, which both have leftist ties that many of us would not associate with the Girl Scouts. Girl Scouts USA actively promotes feminist leaders like Hillary Clinton, Gloria Steinem, Megan Rapinoe, and Greta Thunberg. They also are the largest member of the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts, which actively promotes radical leftist views on abortion and sexuality. Many want to support local troops rather than giving their money to the leftist higher-ups, but sadly, a girl's troop only keeps 10 to 20% of the money collected from their cookie sales. The rest of the money goes to the regional councils and on to the national organization. To get around this problem, some people ask to give a monetary donation to the troop directly. As unbelievable as it might seem, those troops are required to use all of that donation money to buy boxes of cookies. It's against National Girl Scout policy for troops to accept donations unless they use the money to buy cookies. If you don't believe me, look at the Girl Scouts annual policy manuals for cookie sales, known as the cookie book. The Eastern Massachusetts edition of the manual states it clearly, quote, cash collected during a cookie booth must be for cookies. Girl Scouts cannot accept cash donations specifically for their troop, end quote. All of us want to foster places where young girls can grow into strong women of character. Sadly, Girl Scouts USA has shown that they are not able to make such a space available to girls. The next time you crave a box of Thin Mints, you may want to think twice. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Finishing up, I hope you have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, a lot of things going on in every community across the country. I mentioned earlier, I will be doing college visits with my daughter. My oldest child is a, a high school senior, so she's getting ready for college. So we're doing that. Nothing changes your perspective um, more than being a father, at least for me. Uh, and also then as you start to see these life decisions happen, uh, it's amazing to uh, go through them, try to work your way through them. There's no manual for it. Uh, but... There's a lot of good resources, and I just want to encourage you as I finish, I'm so grateful uh, for your listening to the program, but also for all the great guests we have and the resources, people that have um, good thoughts, uh, good insights, wisdom. Uh, are really valuable. I'm right now reminded of Larry uh, Willard uh, earlier on the program talking about his publishing company. There's lots of good books in there. People do a lot of good things. So thank you for spreading that. We should be uh, pleased about it and be grateful. And thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, not only for Noah Says today's segment, but also for being such a great producer and also Joanna Spilger, who associate associate produces the show. And uh, we are grateful and thank you for listening. We will be back next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.